Our scripture reading this morning will come from Psalm 37, verses 20 through the end of the chapter. Let us hear the word of the Lord together. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastors. They, will, they vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. The righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, and the, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or the children of God, be children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall, your, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land, and you will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree but he passed away and behold he was no more though i sought him he could not be found mark the blameless and behold the upright for there is a future for the man of peace but the transgress but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed the future of the wicked shall be cut off the salvation of the righteous is from the lord he is their stronghold in times of trouble the lord helps them and delivers them he delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks be to God indeed. You may be seated. Well, church, it is extremely good to be back with you this morning. Um, the Agnews were on a close to a two-week little jaunt for various purposes. Um, some to see family, my dad's memorial, a little bit of soccer spilled into there as well. But we had a good time. Um, anyway, uh, I would like to say it was restful, but sometimes vacations need vacations, yes? And uh, so I think that is uh, something we're looking forward to, kind of getting back into a groove here. And sometimes the best remedy is just getting into your own routine, right? Um, I am a guy who doesn't like to be outside of my routine very often. So, uh, but it is good to be back with you, especially as I was just listening um, we got to worship at my brother's church, which was a fantastic church. God, the gospel was preached and declared so wonderfully that morning. But one of the things I always take notice of when I go worship within the fellowship when we are away is just how do the people participate and how do they sing? And that's one thing that we've got going well for us here, Grace, is how much we participate and we sing and our voices are one loud exclamation of, of the glory of Jesus. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that does that so faithfully each and every each and every week. So it's good to be home. Good to be home. Um, so two weeks ago, before I left on our little trip, uh, we began a kind of a two-part, I don't know, a series within a series on Psalm 37. 
And uh, we noted back then that Psalm 37 is this treasure trove of wisdom for the one who feels anxious about life and all the challenges that it throws at us. We noted that the chief concern that David has in this psalm for us um, about, in writing this song to us was to expose and to comfort those fearful and pensive places of our own hearts that we tend to have regularly, um, just much like what uh, our brother Jim just prayed here a few moments ago. And so David in this text we said a couple weeks ago is inviting God's people to consider self why are you so anxious? Why are you so pen, uh, pensive? In this text, why are, is your heart so fretful? Um, and the truth is, life oftentimes leaves us feeling this way, does it not? That underneath us, it feels like the very ground in which we're standing always feels like it's kind of crumbling, doesn't it? It feels as though we are witnessing, it feels, and I won't put air quotes around it, it feels as though the world we, uh, we are witnessing the world fall further and further into not only indifference to the things of God, but outright denial. And I say air quotes there because sometimes we can think we can put kind of air quotes around our modern moment. And we think that there's something different or unique about this moment as opposed to history itself since the fall in the garden. In reality, it's all been at war with God since the very beginning. We, we kind of sometimes fall into these places and we see it, it's not necessarily untrue, but we feel like we fall in these places where it's kind of the us versus them, right? Do you ever feel that way? It's us versus them. And, we, and, and, and again, that truth is not completely out of order. There is a sense in which there's God's people saved and redeemed by the glory of, for, by the glory of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. And there are those who have abandoned and, 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 and stiff-armed God. That is, that is to be sure. But, but, the, but I believe one of the problems that we oftentimes miss as we go about the journey, the pilgrimage of this life following Christ, is that a lot of times the war that we are facing, the greatest war we're facing is within ourselves. It's us versus us. It's us versus those places in our heart that we just refuse to confront with the truth of God's grace. And I think that's exactly what we see here in Psalm 37. Heart, why are you so fretful? Again, you will be reminded that in this us versus us paradigm, it can be Christian against Christian who maybe perhaps argue or debate all kinds of secondary issues, especially as it relates to cultural engagement. But again, I think the main thrust here for, for David is it's me against myself. It's me against me. It's that second option that I think David's confronting or inviting us to inspect in our own hearts. Um, we tend to put way too much focus, as I said last time, on the sinful, broken realities of the world in which we live in, and not enough attention on the glory of our Savior Jesus and all the things that have been being worked out since before eternity passed. And that He's promising and He's carrying through faithfully and will carry through faithfully when Jesus returns. We, we, we so easily forget those realities because we get so enamored, so distracted, so downcast by the realities of our own little sliver of the universe, our little sliver of the timeline. I've used this illustration before, and I'll probably come back to it later in the sermon too, but as a child, my grandmother was a quilter. 
and she had this big loom that she would have, and, it, and I mean, it felt like it was endless miles of tapestry and, and stuff on the other side of it just piled up. You didn't see what was going on. But me and my brother used to get our little G.I. Joes and go up under the loom, and we'd play G.I. Joes, but you'd look up, up at, the, at the top of the loom, kind of looking through it, and all you saw was all these random threads. It didn't seem like it had any purpose, any design, any anything. But we couldn't see the whole picture, could we? We couldn't see all that Grandma had in her mind. We couldn't see the whole quilt put together. And then one day when that quilt was all put together, you're like, wow, that is a piece of art. That is a piece to be behold. I think sometimes that's what we get caught up in our own lives. We get caught with the random pieces of threads that are hanging from there. We don't understand what it's all about. And we just forget that there's some grand master, sovereign, good God behind all of what we are doing and experiencing today. And we get so caught up in trying to and trying to read all of history through this one sliver of life that you and I get to live for 75 years or so. And we got to forget that. we got to remind them of that. And so David, in Psalm 37, offers us wisdom on the kind of perspective that we need as we face the perils and face the problems and face the terrors of this day. See, the big truth that David is going to help, he learned for himself as an old man writing this. Again, this is verse 25. He's writing as an old man. I have... This what we read a minute ago. I have been young and I am now old, but I have not seen the righteous forsaken and the children of God begging for bread. He's writing this with a perspective and he's speaking back to his younger self and he's inviting us to speak the same things to ourselves that here's the reality. Saul, King Saul, was never his biggest problem. Absalom, his, his rogue son, was never the real problem. The real problem was the clouded, fearful, doubtful heart that would, that would cloud his ability to see that what was real and what was true about the present moment and what God himself had revealed about himself through his word and his son. And what's more, our hearts can be so clouded and he's confronting and trying to clear the cloud away, cloud our confidence in the future unfolding of all God's plans because we're so focused on this minute. My story kind of goes along with that, and I've had the opportunity because of my father's passing and having to speak at my dad's memorial and think through some of these things. But I can look back now with a little bit better 2020 lenses than I could have 20, 30, 40 years ago. 47 years old. And I, and I, and I remember those times. I remember the environment that I grew up in, which left me oftentimes feeling so anxious and doubtful about life and less confident about the life. And, and so much of my life lacked confidence in the future. But, I, but it, it took years now, even as a 47-year-old man, looking after my dad's passing and to see that God's always been with me. Always been with me. That through my mom, that even though life was chaotic, like we lived in... I lived in nine different houses from the time I was born to the time I graduated high school. I went to three different elementary schools, two different middle schools, and two different high schools in three different counties. And I remember always feeling like the odd duck out. My social cues, I was so, so introverted because I didn't know how to get to know anyone. It was hard to make friends. But yet I saw God's, God's faithfulness to me through the resilience of a mom who made sure that we always had a roof over our heads, even when my dad was flaking out. And she always made sure that we had a home, a meal. She was relentless about Christmas. You ever have one of those moms who's like, I, I, you, your rest of your life may be miserable, but Christmas morning is never going to be miserable for you. That was my mom. That was my mom. And even though I heard 
And all that, and here's the good news of all this, I heard the gospel when I was eight years old from the lips of my own very young believing mother who had just been had found Christ at a Billy Graham crusade just a couple years before that. We were in and out of church all of our life, grew up in extremely moralistic and legalistic environments that really were devoid a lot of times of grace, but somehow or another in the midst of all of that, God got the gospel to me through all these messy means. I didn't have a stable father figure in my life. My dad was always in another world. My stepdad, who was a wonderful man, faithful man, but he wasn't really connected in any meaningful way to me in any sense of the, of the world. Yet, God routinely brought godly men into my life. There was a deacon at Goodview Baptist Church who invited me to go to a basketball camp, a basketball tournament one Sunday, one weekend, excuse me, and I heard someone during, during halftime, during lunch, show what it meant to be a follower, what, could be a disciple maker. I was like, what is this? I, I knew Christ, but no one ever taught me how to follow Jesus. And then a few years later, I ended up at First Baptist Roanoke in the young adult program and college career program. And I met Allie McNider, who, by the way, I got to reconnect with a couple weeks ago in Greenville because he lives there now. And we got to reminisce over 20 years, 25 years of, ministry, of, of faithfulness. He was the first person who got me thinking about ministry. He invited me to even serve in ministry the next summer as an intern. God had always been faithful. And so as I was spending the, it felt so perfect because as I was spending the last week focusing and preparing for the memorial for my dad last week, I couldn't help but think about how wonderfully this fits within Psalm 37. That I, so many times in my past, if I wish I could go back to my younger self, I could think to, why are you so fretful? Why are you so scared? Why are you so worried that the world's going to crumble underneath you? And the Lord has always been there. He's always made sure that every provision I needed, even though there were times when we were, it was lean. Amanda will remember the first couple years of our marriage and we lived in Raleigh and we're, um, we're stringing together different jobs to make things meet. We had a young newborn son at that point and you know we're living in a two-bedroom townhouse and bought a house we probably should never have bought in chapel hill and all kinds of things but the lord was kind he's been kind all the way through it and so here's the main idea that i think we're, i want us to make sure that we we grasp as we uh, finish up our time this morning in psalm 37 in the heat of life's daily perils we often find ourselves unable to see God's good promises and his good work for us. But as we take the long view of life, we see that God never forsakes his people. Okay, that's it. Let me say it again. In the heat of life's daily perils, we often find ourselves unable to see God's good promises and good work for us. But as we take the long view, we see that God never forsakes his people. So a quick reminder of what we did last uh, two weeks ago. We said at the end of the day, there's really two large hinges here that, that the psalmist, David, invites us to see. He says, look, if you, if you need to be, confront the fretful heart, you need to look at Christ and you need to look beyond this moment. So those are two big anchors of this. Of this. And he unfolds these, these anchors on and, and builds them on four very, very important perspectives that you and I, this wisdom, as we said earlier in this wisdom psalm, show us how, uh, that shows us how to build on these two foundations. Um, number one, we said two weeks ago that we need a proper perspective about our inheritance, that the meek shall inherit the earth. We talked a good bit about that two weeks ago. We said number two last two weeks ago that there, we need a proper perspective on the future of the wicked and their days coming. They're on borrowed time. And so today we're going to hit these last two. 
which is, number one, we need a perspective on those who've gone before us, a new perspective. We need a grateful perspective, per se. And we need, number two, or actually number four in the whole thing, we need a resilient perspective on taking the long view. That's what we're going to talk about, these two main points this morning, okay? We need a grateful perspective of those who've went before us. We don't always value the wisdom of those who went before us. We should. And we need to have a resilient perspective about taking the long view. So let's just talk about that first one first. We need a grateful perspective on those of those who have gone before this. We see this in verse 27 through 33. You can join me there. Read along with me if you wish. But here we go. Turn away from evil. I'm sorry. Back up to verse 25. Excuse me. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. And so the very first thing we see here in this, as we're kind of making the close of this, this psalm, is that he's, he's reflecting, as we've already noted, about his own. I've been here. I've seen this. I'm telling you. You may not see it now in the moment, in the heat of the moment, but there will be a day when you'll be able to look back, at least see parts of it, and be able to see it more clearly than you do at this moment. But the one thing that you will see in the years to come is that your God has never let you go. Ever let you go. I am young, and I am now old. Friends, we, we are uh, um, sometimes what I'm going to call uh, historical snobs. We think somehow or another that in our modern moment we have, we had known more now than they've ever known in the past, and therefore what's in the past always was limited in some way. And I will tell you up front, I think that the exact opposite is true. I think the more we peer back into the past, we, we peer back into the church history, we go back through historical theology, and we go back into the life of the church, even go back in the life of this church and the churches before us, we learn more about what life is all about than we do if we just live in our own little, again, our own little sliver of the universe, our own little sliver of the timeline. That's the new popular thing now in all these superhero movies is the multiverse thing and all these different timelines crossing over. And the, one, and, and the weird thing about those, all those timelines is what, what, what are they trying to say? Is that there's always opportunities for us to improve, right? But the reality is, as those timelines cross in these movies, what happens? They get worse. And they mess up things even more and more. Mankind's not willing to actually confront his own arrogance about his chronological snobbery. No, we need to look back and we need to take, be grateful for the people who've gone before us. One of the things that that we prayed for early on at Grace Church, constantly as we had these seven or eight families that started out, most of which were kind of in our category of kids, young kids or elementary kids, we pray this, and, and Josh can say, can say this, is one of the things we prayed for all the time in our leadership, was God bring us some seasoned saints. And he did. And, and we wanted, we didn't want to be the prototypical church plant that just has young people because we were having the, we were having the you know, crazy worship. No, we didn't want that. We didn't want the big box church. We wanted real, authentic community that was multi-generational because we needed people who could come in there and say, slow down there, young buck, right? Don't we all need those people? Like, we may not like it in the moment, but we need those people. My dad would frustrate me with that kind of stuff. He would never, ever let me, like, celebrate the moment. He was always giving me wisdom that I never wanted, all right? And, and you probably have that person in your life, too. But we need a new perspective on life, and I think a lot of times it's coming too. And so let me just say this as maybe a, a possible challenge and an encouragement to you. If you don't have a kind of a, a multi-generational texture of connection within this church, I would encourage you to go do it. 
the old need the young and the young need the old. And I just encourage you to do that. I don't believe in a time when we just, we, 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 like there's a, people are set out to pasture. That's just ridiculous. No. Until the Lord takes you home, you are valuable in this moment. If you're, if you're one of those folks who, who've been, you're generationally ahead of us, we need you. We need your investment. We need your investment in the, in the folks here because there are many of us here who are looking at this very moment we're living in and we're like, I'm not sure what's going to happen next. Like the next 10 years doesn't look good. I don't know what kind of world my kids are going to get. But some of you guys have been there or you've been in other contexts besides the United States and you're going to say, it's going to be okay. And, and, you're going to, and you can say that not because of your experience, this was your experience, but because you know your God's been faithful. And so here's David giving us this stuff and then so... He, he tells us this, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. He's lending generously and his children become a blessing. This idea of forsaken is, is, is sometimes might think, well, wait a minute, that seems, it kind of begs the question to me. Does it, is it really true that God never forsakes us? Does it feel, is it true that it feels like, like sometimes Christians do feel abandoned? Sometimes Christians do feel like, wow, God, you've really allowed me to experience some pretty tough circumstances. I know there are people in this room right now who feel that way. And, and, and you wonder, like, is this really true? Is David just kind of making, is he kind of being hyperbolic here in this sense? Well, the word forsaken here doesn't mean no suffering. It just means that God will not abandon you in the midst of that suffering. It seems that sometimes Christians do appear as suffering. And even, um, even, even great Christians like Charles Spurgeon struggled with this. As he, his ministry was so far-reaching in, in, in London that he saw a lot of Christians suffer in his day. We know Christians who live in other contexts in the Far East, and it's, it's nothing like what you and I live like here. We know Christians who, who are from the... Talk to someone who grew up in the former USSR. Let them tell you what it was like trying to be a Christian in that. Right? Um, especially someone who's up in age who can really remember some of that more recent stuff. I mean, uh, further back distance, back in past stuff. It does feel like at times there are Christians who are ordained to suffer. And maybe that is. I think Paul would say to you, suffering is part of the Christian, natural Christian experience. Now, it may be different experiences of suffering, nonetheless, but there's still suffering there. But I think that the, the principle that David is striking is not, not the absence of suffering and when he's talking about forsaking this, but that the fact that God, his presence, God's presence will dwell with his people in all the places and contexts and situations that we find ourselves in this life. I think Derek Kigner, um, who's a, a, a writer from, the, from a, a century ago, in my view, strikes what I think one of the best balances is he kind of combines truths from Psalm 37 with 2 Corinthians 4 and 6, and I'll let you go read those passages on your own. But here's how he says it in his commentary. Persecuted, but not forsaken. See how he's combining the two. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. Cast down, but not destroyed. See, I think this truth for believers is one of the most needed truths in this modern moment. How much of what motivates us in our cultural engagement or our cultural perspectives or how we go about doing things out there is less about the glory of Jesus and more about our own anxiety and fear and self-preservation. 
Uh, look, it's, no, it's no secret that the last hundred years, the, largely the, the West has been, or last several hundred years, have been largely a Christian-influenced culture. And over the last hundred years, we've seen that fade and dissolve and effectively pushing Christians to the fringes of society when at most points over the past 1,500 years, Christian ethics and Christian norms were at least nominally central to basic societal norms. We can't say that today, can we? We can't. In some contexts, Christians are not just on the fringe, but are viewed as the scourge of society, and that they should be first, not, not just pushed further and further to the fringes, but should be pushed off the edge entirely. There are places and contexts where that is the case. There are people who believe that, and they preach that right now. Yet in the face of such harsh rejection and derision from the world, the Christian can remain confident that God is sustaining him, her, me, you, and that we will remain a blessing to society by our continued presence here. Why? Because God is with us no matter what the world says or what the world does. It's, it's become kind of a, a running joke now, if you've seen all the growth in Nashville, that we got people coming from all of the different states, and one of those states is California, and you, you talk to someone from California, like we were, they're running out like as fast as they can, because we all know about the political situation there and, and everything, and you can think about this from other, uh, in other states as well. And sometimes it's prudent to move, and sometimes it's the right thing for families to do, but other times God would instruct his people to stick in there, like he did in Babylon. There's people there, like, I'm going I'm to keep you there. Sometimes it's not, and sometimes it's best. And so that's a liberty issue. Don't, get me, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But here's what we want to do is that wherever the Lord leads us, we want to make sure we're reminding ourselves that this home is not our permanent home. There's an age to come that will be our permanent home, and we will live faithful. We will live with great joy in that place when that time comes. And so what do we do in light of... David's instructions here of, 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 of remembering all those people who've gone before us. Here's what he instructs us in verses 27 through uh, roughly um, 33. Turn away from evil and do good, and you'll dwell forever. Love justice, and God will not forsake his saints. They will be preserved forever. The children of the wicked shall be cut off, though. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is on his lips. His steps do not slip. And so when we look at these passages that follow his, his encouragement about, I've seen, never seen God's people forsaken, he's, he's calling us to remember and abide in the, pre, that Christ's presence abides with us in this moment like he has been with all brothers and sisters from other ages that preceded us. The point that David is making is not that his people won't face suffering, but that God will not abandon them in it. And so therefore, the instruction is, reject evil and do good. Do what you've been doing. Stand on truth. Reject evil and do good. Seek justice is a key element to doing good in the world for the Christian. And much has been debated about the idea of justice in the world. But here, let me just tell you, let me just get this. Justice is more than just simply standing on godly morality and ethics. That is true to be, that is to be true. But justice is acting for the biblical good and flourishing of our neighbors and ourselves. It's the acting on that truth. It's not just preaching that truth. 
It's for us working as we, as we can, as we're waiting for the world Lord to come and return. It is to live in such a way that, we, that, we, that the, the, the truth that imbibes our hearts, that we act on it for the good and flourishing of our neighbor. And we do so in verses 30 and 31 as we utter the wisdom of God's law in our hearts. And our steps will, not be, will be established by it. See, I think there's a, um, I think it's very important as we kind of look at this, it, it, as we est- see our steps established by the law of God, we recognize it's about us living as a very loud declarative presence in the world of what is good and true and right. Yes, but also to the degree that we can, we will, do, we will work to, to see our neighbors flourish as well so that they have every opportunity to meet Jesus every opportunity to meet Jesus. And so then he ends it in verse 32 through 33. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power, will not abandon us to his power and let him be, conde- and let him be condemned, which he has been brought to trial. I love this passage here. God will not abandon you and I to the power of the wicked. No matter how much they press, no matter how much they push in, no matter how much they try to manipulate, no matter how much they try to coerce us into believing, into accepting things that we know are contrary to God's word and God's revelation, God will not allow his people, he will not abandon us to that power. And we will not be condemned when he is brought to trial. And I love this because there's something in here that we'll pay attention to it that's really, really comforting. Because there was one who was abandoned to a trial. And he did suffer an unjust sentence. And he stood righteously in the midst of the unjust sentence. And he was condemned to death for that sentence in an unjust way. But he went to the grave. And what happened? The grave could not hold him. So the very people, as we are waiting and facing the world in which we are living in, and we see all of the injustices that the wicked try to throw at us, friends, we have a greater hope beyond this moment because we have someone who actually has stood trial an unjust trial, but he still gained the victory in his righteousness over death. Our King Jesus. See, the resurrection that we'll one day experience in this age to come will bring his testimony and our testimony, of, and the testimony of Psalm 37, full circle. You and I can take great hope in that and joy in that. And so we need a grateful perspective on those who've gone before us. We're not alone. We're not the first group of Christians to face difficult times, horrendous times, not by a long shot. When, when the world was abandoning people to the plague, who were the ones pressing in and helping and giving aid? Was it not Christians? I think when, the, when we see these times, Christians, will, their, their resolve and their hope and their trust in Christ will show up. And I, and I pray that will be the same for us. As we face the times that we're in, we'll, we'll faithfully show up, bringing the unalterable truth of the gospel to everyone who is willing to hear it, even if it brings disdain from our neighbors. That's the f- first point. Be grateful for what's gone before us. That's a perspective we need. We need it always. Number two, we need a resilient perspective about taking the long view. Look at verse 34 through the end of the chapter. 
Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. We've seen inherit the land several times here, have we not, in this passage. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I love that. You will look on. You will be, a, you will be there in the audience as God cuts off the wicked. I have seen the wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away. He's no more. I sought him, but I couldn't find him. Martha, blame us. Behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall altogether be destroyed, and the future of the wicked shall be cut off. Again, just keeps repeating the same refrain. See, one of the key reasons that I believe that we have an increase in anxiety in the world and anxiousness in the world, and, and I would consider myself someone who has struggled with anxiety at different points in my life, um, is because at the world, as it knows, has no other hope beyond this life. And so when they look at the world as it burns, of course they're going to get anxious as they see it crumble. And I think sometimes we as Christians, I will put myself in the same category here, right? We get so fixed by a burning world. And David's word to us this morning is twofold here in these last couple passages, last few verses. Number one, wait on the Lord and keep his way. Verses 34 through 36. He will exalt you to inherit the land. Remember, we said that last week, our inheritance is sure. You will look and you will see the wicked cut off. Sometimes... We can wrongly feel that if that is our job to construct a golden era. Like, right, okay, so the big baddies are coming. Let's go. Let's, you know, let's go, let's go, let's go fight. And sometimes there's a place and time to fight. That's to be sure. That's not to say we're not supposed to do that. But I don't, I don't find that that's the main goal as I look at Scripture. I don't fault those who see that as a goal. I just don't find it convincing and compelling in Scripture. What I find a, a, a convincing in Scripture, this narrative of we're an alien race. We're sojourners in a land that's not our home. We're pilgrims sojourning through this land, just like Abraham was looking for a land of hope and promise. That was the promise always. That, and we're pilgrims who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and we're doing this in every age as has been the case. Always. From the very first seed of, in Genesis 3.15, the seed of Seth, and his line that followed him was, was, a, was a seed of the promise. That's tracking the seed of promise. And how God continues these people who are waiting on this promise to be fulfilled. A pilgrim people waiting on this promise to be fulfilled. We are a kingdom of priests, 1 Peter 2, displaying the superior glory of being saved and known, being known by God. That is our call. To display the superior glory of God and Jesus and being saved by Him and being known by Him. And I believe that's what verses 34 through 36 are, are actually getting at. Wait on the Lord. It's a resilient trust. It's a, it's a patience as we live as these aliens in a land that is not our home. And, we, and, we walk the, and as we walk this pilgrim path in whatever age we find ourselves, and again, we're not the first ones to walk this, we will see a very, the, in every age the falling away of the wicked efforts of the godless regimes, nations, and societies. That's why he says right here, you know, I, well, go back up here. Wait in the Lord and keep his way. And 
He will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. You're a spectator. I'm a spectator. But he, this, the wicked, ruthless man who's been spreading his, himself like a green laurel, he passed away, and behold, he's no more. I saw him, and he's, he's not even a present anymore. He's gone. And this has happened for every Christian in every age. And, of course, we'll come more gloriously when Jesus returns, and more finally when Jesus returns. So we wait on the Lord, we keep his way, is the first part of, of how we we learn to be resilient in taking the long view. But we also recognize in verses 37 through 40, there is a future for the man of peace as he takes refuge in the Lord. Right? The, mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace, but the transgressors shall altogether be destroyed. And look what it says there in verses 39 and 40. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. There is an age to come. The believer has his or her hope fixed on. Not this moment, an age to come. The man of peace in, in peace in this passage here in verse 37 is both the man of peace who is the elect, the, the pilgrim, the one who's been chosen out into this alien race into the world, and we, we are saved into this temporary pilgrimage of people. But it's even more the man of peace Jesus, who stood blamelessly as the man of peace for us, the righteous one who will come to judge the living and the dead. The future for the man of peace, as he takes, re- there's a future for us as we take refuge in the Lord. He will cut off the unrighteous from this world, and he will exalt those who are his in this world. Again, going back to my mother's, grandmother's womb. It's so easy to just get so focused on one of those really pesky little threads. Oh, my grandma would get so upset with us when we start pulling the threads. Uh, you want to get grandma mad, don't pull on a thread, right? When we're pulling on the threads of this moment, it's, it's probably because we're, we're, we can't see the whole quilt. And we need a long game view, a long view of reality. I said this last week, and I'll say, I said this two weeks ago, I'll say it again. It takes a lifetime, and I will even bet even more than that. It takes an eternity to grasp all that God has done, all that God is doing, and all that God will do. And even when we one day stand there and behold Jesus sitting on the throne, the Lamb, Revelation 21, uh, that whole wonderful, beautiful picture that we know of in Scripture, we won't even scratch the surface of knowing and beholding our God in that moment. So let's, let's keep on focusing on the thread, right? Let's let the thread continue to dominate our perspective. No. No, remember your inheritance. Remember the future of the wicked in the world. That their time is running out. Remember, 
And, and, and on that point, remember that the, the, the wicked are on, their time is running out. Ali McNider, the guy that, I, that was mentoring me and I met in Greenville a couple weeks ago, he used to say this whenever he preached. He goes, listen, if you're a believer, this is as bad as it ever gets. If you're not a believer, this is as good as it ever gets. And that's some perspective, isn't it? That's perspective. Remember your inheritance. Remember the future this world has before it, that it's on borrowed time. Number three, remember those who've gone before us. What's happening right now is not new. And number four, take the long view of life. It's way bigger than the sliver of eternity that you're living in right in this moment. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and let's prepare ourselves for the table of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness to abide among us, to reveal yourself to us. Thank you for uh, David's and the Paul's and the Peter's and the Matthew's and the Luke's and the folks that you used through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bring us your word so that we might stand in confidence in, the, in, the, in, in all that you're doing and unfolding and we can continue to fix our hearts and minds on way bigger things than this modern moment. Father, thank you for this. Help us now as we come to the table, we come with um, a, a sense of gratitude and thankfulness as we remember we're our part in this unfolding story. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.